0: Well, that's pretty exciting, isn't it? Wow. God is doing some wonderful things. Paul in the Bible, it says in Acts 17, you know, Paul was in Athens. Paul's always looking for an opportunity and a way to share the gospel. And so he goes through all of these altars and to these gods. And he comes to one called the unknown God. And he takes this opportunity to share with the Greeks at that time. About this God that they they don't know anything about. <clears throat> in the process of telling them that, he says, um, "From one man, God made the world and everything in it, and and everyone in it, pardon me." And then he says something very interesting. <clears throat> he says, um, "God appointed the times, and the ex-, in in one translation it says the exact places where we should live." And God did this. So that men would seek him, men and women, would seek him and reach out to him and find him. Though he's not really very far from any one of us. And so I think of this church. And I think of this report that we just heard of all the people that need the gospel that are around this church. And God has appointed this church, this exact place, so that people would seek him, would have a place to come and seek him. And when they seek Him, they will find Him. I just believe when God moves a person from one place to another, God knows that when they seek Him there, they're going to find Him in a way that they're not going to find Him if they stay where they are or they move to another place, because God is so wise. So you are placed where you are, and you are part of this church for a reason, because you're going to seek God, and you're going to find God, and you're going to share the Lord in a way where you are, where you're working, in your neighborhood, in a way that you would not be able to find God or share him in any other way because God is the superintendent, right? He, We decide, we make a move, but God is the one who is in charge, amen? <laughs> I hope I can get this thing. I guess I shouldn't move my head. If uh, I need help, just come up here and... Give this thing a twist. I'll try not to make it. A... Anyway, welcome to the service. And I pray that you will continue to trust the Lord. I'm not going to ask the pastors to come up. Uh, the trust test last week, I'm not sure you passed it very well. <laughs> you know, we've been. Yes, you go right ahead. This man can fix me up. It's the big ears, I think, that get in the way. Thank you. Look at that. I think it was okay before, and I thought I'd make it better down there, but I made it worse. (laughs) So in the last few weeks, we've been talking about building trust. The songs that we sung today were a lot about trusting God, weren't they? And uh, I know we're talking about money and uh, tithing and and all that, but the bottom line is, the bottom message is trusting the Lord. (laughs) So that when God speaks to us and he says something in his word, we trust him and we follow him and obey. I had a mother that was the epitome of trust as an unbeliever in that home, and my mom was not a believer, but my mom I'm telling you she trusted me and After I became a Christian and I came back to my hometown now as a as a pastor, I go to do a funeral, and I'm doing this funeral, and uh <clears throat> I'm going to do this funeral and in the service. Uh, Before the service starts, I should say, there's the policeman that actually arrested me. And so now is my opportunity to share with him why I'm different. My mother's sitting there, and all through my beginning of talking with him, my mother's interrupting and saying, oh, he's a good boy. He's a really good boy. He never did anything wrong. Like, she just trusted me. Sometimes I think it was her trust in me that drove me to get saved because I couldn't live up to it. I'm not sure. (laughs) Trust. It's great for parents to trust in their children, isn't it? Amen. Well, last week I kind of asked you, more or less, do you trust God? And and this week I'm going to ask you, does God trust you? And so we're going to look at an interesting parable. And I've given you something when you came in, and it's called uh, the parable of the dishonest manager. And uh, we're going to look at those verses in just a moment. Why am I going to preach this sermon? At the end of the parable of the dishonest uh, uh, managers—pardon me, the dishonest manager—there's a verse that says, "The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things and they ridiculed Jesus after he he taught." And what were all these things? Was it just this parable? No, it wasn't just this parable. You see, in chapter 15 of the of the Gospel of of Mark, uh, Luke. It says this, now the tax collectors and the sinners, those people that aren't saved, aren't godly people, were drawing near to hear Jesus and the Pharisees, the religious people and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and he actually lives in the same building as them. He, he eats with them, basically. And so that's the background. And then we come to the the rest of chapter 15 in the Gospel of Luke. And there we find probably three of the most loved parables in the Bible. The lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost uh, lost son, the prodigal son. All of these things are so, so beautiful. We love them so much. And now we come to chapter 16. It's still the same day. It's the same Jesus speaking. But now he talks to them about this parable of the dishonest manager, which is not the most loved, but is probably what I would consider the most strange, the most confusing, the most misunderstood parable of all the parables that Jesus talked about. In the first one, the first three parables, which is really one parable in three parts, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, is Jesus is talking to the Pharisees about their wrong attitude toward people. In this parable, he's talking about our wrong attitude toward wealth or money. And so that's what we're going to look at. Jesus speaks today about our possessions through this parable. Now, Jesus talked about money a lot. So if I'm doing it two weeks in a row, have no fear. There's still 50 more weeks in the year. But anyway... Did you know that 16 out of 38 parables are about money and possessions? Wow, it's almost half. One out of 10 verses in Matthew, Mark, and Luke are about money and wealth and possessions. And in Luke's gospel, the one we're looking at, one out of every eight. In the book of James, one out of every five. On the way down, uh, coming back to Scarborough yesterday, My wife and I were listening to uh, an old uh, lecture from uh, Dr. Victor Shepard from Tyndale. And so he said something there, and I said, let's stop it, and let's get that. It it makes sense. It goes with my message. Dr. Shepard talked about a time when he was pastoring a church, and the the chairman of the finance committee came to him and said, well, you know, it's getting near the end of the year. What we'd like you to do is we'd like you to write a little blurb as the pastor and just remind people that we're a little short of our budget and it's getting near the end of the year. So, Dr. Shepard, you've got to be, be prepared when Victor Shepard is asked to do something. He's going to say something that is going to usually make you a little uncomfortable. So, Victor Shepard says this in his letter. Basically, he said, money talks, money silences, money bribes Money corrupts. And then he quoted Jacques, Jacques Ellul, this uh, wonderful, brilliant French uh, politician, theologian, philosopher, and he said, uh, Ellal talks about money, and he says, the only freedom with respect to money that he has discovered is to give it away. <laughs> you know, the Bible doesn't say that love is that the, the evil, pardon, get my head in gear here, that it doesn't say that uh, money is evil. It says the love of money is evil, right? And so you can do a lot of good. That's why we're giving money to missions. It does a lot of good. I don't think poverty pleases God. Jesus said you're always going to have the poor with you. But he made provision in the Old Testament for the people to bring their tithes to the Levites who would distribute it, and part of that money that was brought to them was to go to the poor. And Jesus commended that widow who gave everything she gave out of her poverty. He was not commending her poverty. Poverty is not a good thing. Just let me get that straight. But there's something about this money that uh, has can get a grip on us, right? And uh, so when Jesus talks to us about money. He knows the risks. So let's look at this parable together today. And uh, I'll read it to you because obviously I'm not going to do a very good job in unison. So follow along on the screen. Jesus also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. He called him and said to him, What's this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management unit can no longer be my manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do? Since my master's taking my, the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what I'm going to do so that when I am removed from my management position, people are going to receive me into their homes. So he summoned his master's debtors one by one, He said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, 3,000 liters of oil. He said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and write it in half, 1,500. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, "A 1,000 bushels of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 800. The master, not Jesus, the master of the manager, commended the dishonest manager, for his shrewdness, not for stealing, for his shrewdness. For the sons of the world are more shrewd in their dealing with their own generations than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by the means of this money or unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. Boy, is your head spinning a little bit here. <laughs> Jesus said then, one... The one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and the one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful with the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you then with true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what which which is another story, who will give it who will give you that which is not your own? No servant can serve two masters; Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will devote it to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and that didn't—he didn't, didn't like—they didn't like that too much. God bless your word to our hearts. It's a very challenging parable, but help us to have insight by the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to look at this together, and you have some notes there to help you know that I'm getting near the end, so you don't get uh, wondering when's this going to (laughs) end. But the first thing is, is the accountability of the dishonest manager, and it's found in the first two verses. Remember, Jesus is speaking to the disciples, so in your notes, you'd want to write that first word is accountability. We'll be looking at two other words that also begin with the letter A. The reason I have to be accountable to God is because, number one, God is the owner, second blank. Thirdly, I am the manager, second blank. The reason I have to be accountable to God, he owns everything. He owns everything I have, and I am the manager. The number one reason that I am accountable to God is because what I have today are just gifts from God, everything I have. None I own. I own nothing. Yes, I own a house, but I own not that house. God owns that house. I'm accountable to the owner. Let us realize what the Bible says about God. Jesus is the king, right? The devil is the prince of the world, but Jesus is the king. And the prince has a lot of reign in this world right now, but Jesus is the king, and God owns the world. In the book of Haggai, the Bible says, The silver and the gold are mine, says the Lord. In Psalm 24, the psalmist wrote, The earth and everything in it is the Lord's. He owns it all. In Psalm 49, it says, Every animal in the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains, and every creature of the field are mine. Hallelujah. God owns me. He owns the world. Amen. And in the book of James, it says, every good and perfect gift comes from above the Father of lights. James chapter 1. He's the owner. He owns everything. The gifts I have, he gave to me. Every possession I have is a gift from God. And until this number one issue is settled in your hearts and minds and mine, we're going to have a problem in this area of money and management and stewardship. If I believe for a moment that Tom Quinn is the owner, then I'm going to be constantly dealing in conflict with God over the stuff that I have. Right? Once I realize that God is the owner and I'm the manager, the conflict will start to disappear. He owns everything, my health, my life, my possessions, my family. Everything I have is not mine. It's not mine. And when your superintendent said, would you be able to come over to our district? We have a situation here where a church needs a transition pastor. And Steve Challoner's health is preventing him from, will you do it? And I felt the Lord said, this is what I want you to do. I did not negotiate with God because my life is not my own. I said, yes, I'll come. Wow, I'm sure glad I was obedient. This has been a great blessing to me. <laughs> and I'm excited to. See what God's going to do here in the future. He owns everything. God owns it. I manage it. I have a quest- quiz for you. If I made $1,000 last week, how much does God own? Hey, good. Not, uh, not 10%. What does He own? <laughs> it's $1,000. He owns everything, right? <laughs> the second reason I'm accountable to God is that the owner has expectations of the manager. It's some expectations of all of us that are here today. The parable, in this parable, when the owner comes back, he wants to know what the manager's been doing with the possessions that he's given him as the manager. You know, in Palestine or Israel at that time, it wasn't uncommon for a landlord to be absent for a period of time. And he would come back, he would leave things in charge of a manager who would look after his affairs and trust that he's done a good job, invested his money right or whatever, and so this was not an uncommon thing. So when this parable was spoken to that crowd, it made a lot of sense. There's five areas that we, God looks to us and expects things from us. Number one, we kind of talked about Romans chapter 12, verse 1, ourselves, right? ourselves. In the message that was read by Norm today, a great Bible version that just tells us kind of what, we, what how to say it in our language today. It says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you, you take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life and place, and place it before God as an offering. Not only does God ask us and expect things from ourselves, but also our possessions. Jesus once said to a rich young ruler, anyone who is not willing to give up all his possessions can't be my disciple. Read it carefully. He didn't say you have to give it all up, but are you willing to give it up? Possessions. The third thing that we are accountable for is our time. In Ephesians, it says, be very careful then how you live, not, don't be unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. This is, we're accountable to do that because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Also, we're accountable for all the gifts and abilities Our worship team is using their gifts and abilities today. They're saying, I'm here, God. I'm willing to be a blessing. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. And, of course, we're also accountable for the gospel. God has given us this marvelous treasure. There's a story in the Old Testament with these uh, lepers who were not allowed into the city. In the city, everything was terrible. People were starving, they were starting to kill their children and eat them, it was terrible. Anyway, these four lepers go into this camp of the enemy and the Lord had put such a scare into them that they left and all their money and all their food was there and they started eating, gobbling up all this food and one looked at the other and said, what are we doing? We have all this, meanwhile back in the city they're starving, we better tell them. We have so much in Jesus Christ. We have to share with people the fact that Jesus saves, that he has a place called heaven, that he has a life that we can live on earth, where he is our companion, he is our friend, he is our Lord, he is our helper. We just have the greatest message, the best message in the whole world, don't we? So we're accountable for the gospel. So it says in Thessalonians, we speak as men approved of God to be trusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please men, but God who tests the hearts. So God gives us these things and he has high expectations, ourselves, our possessions, our time, our gifts and abilities in the gospel. Well, the second thing we want, that's accountability. The second thing is the assessment. This manager is pretty sharp. The manager said to himself, what shall I do? Here I go. What shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. Well, this fellow's in trouble, isn't he? The owner has come home. He didn't like the way he was handling his money. He fires him. And so what's he going to do about it? You know, people change in life at different times in crises. And uh, people change Often, the number one reason is when they heard enough that they have to change, and this man had to ch- make some changes. Pastor said to me once, Brian Steed, he said to me, When the pain of the problem becomes greater than the pain of the cure, then I do something about it. <laughs> right? You can just fill in the blanks to that one. You know, two frogs were crossing the road in British Columbia in the mountains where they're harvesting great Douglas fir. Anyway, the frogs were trying to cross this road, but in those in the spring they make some pretty deep ruts in the road and the two frogs jumped across and they wouldn't even know what they got stuck in one of the ruts. And along and to, to their fear, the worst thing is gonna happen, along comes one of the logging trucks, and it's gonna get right in there, and they scramble and they scramble and they scramble, and the one jumps out and he says, Come on, come on, come on, hurry up, get up, get out, get out, and the other one says, I can't, I can't, I can't. And the truck goes by. And after it goes by and the water splashes everywhere, the frog that jumped out first looked around, there was a sprint. He says, how did you get out? Well, he says, I couldn't until I had to. Sometimes we just have to. So he makes this assessment. So let's look at the action of this dishonest manager. Jesus unfolds the story. And the unwise manager began to act upon what he had just discovered. And we read the story. I won't reiterate it. But instead of, he just took the bills of these different people that owed his manager something. And he made them less. Some some half. Some three quarters. Whatever. Interesting to note that when the manager, or the, the owner returned, he didn't fire him. He gave him a little time to settle the accounts. And maybe he's knocking off interest. Maybe he overcharged them in the first place. It's most likely he's been robbing all along from his manager. And he's going to be turned out of his office in a few days. So he decided to make himself safe by robbing his master once more. He's an entire rascal. There's nothing good about this manager. Just so you know, well, there may be one redeeming quality. But there's there's not much good about him. He did say, I don't have the strength to dig. That's probably a disinclination, right? Just too lazy to work, dig ditches. The second thing he says, I'm too ashamed to beg, and that's probably the most redeemable thing he says in the whole story. He's honest, at least he's too ashamed, too too proud to beg. (laughs) So, it's four lessons, I think, from this parable today. The first one is that we need to use our opportunities wisely. That's one of the things that Jesus is teaching, among other things from this parable. How did this story happen anyway? So let's go to Eugene Peterson again and his version and interpretation of the Bible. In verses 8, this is how he says it. Now, here's a surprise. The manager praised the crooked manager. And why? Because he knew how to took, look after himself. Streetwise people are smarter in regard, disregard, than law-abiding citizens. You know what a streetwise person is. I mean, they can pick your pocket in a second. If you ever tried it, you get caught, right? They're on a the constant alert, looking for angles, surviving by their wits. You want to be smart in the same way, but for what's right. Using every adversity to stimulate you to creative survival. To concentrate your attention on the bare essentials so that you'll live, really live, and not complacently, and just get by on good behavior. The Master praised him. <laughs> it's a strange parable, isn't it? Not for being dishonest, though. Let's remember that. Or the bad job he had been doing. Remember, Jesus is sharing the story with the disciples. Jesus intended to draw a contrast for the disciples between the people that were outside of the kingdom and themselves that were now part of the kingdom, the people of the world, the people of the light. Jesus wasn't commending this man, or or commending dishonesty. Jesus was not commending this person for wasting their months, the, the months and maybe years of the master's time and money. Jesus was commending this manager, because once he realized there was a problem, he immediately took action to fix it. How he fixed it wasn't right. The good news is, if we've been thinking, That we've maybe not been using ourselves, our gifts, our talents, our money the way God wants us to. The good news is, he's giving us an opportunity. We still have time. We're still alive, right? That's the good news. So the master gives this manager an opportunity to get things right. The dishonest manager was commended for the wise use of the opportunity. Jesus seems to say the strangest things in this parable. If that's not one of them, the next one is even more strange. First, he refers to money as unrighteous mammon. And already I said money can do good things. But in this case, some translations say wicked wealth. Use this unrighteous money, Jesus says, to gain friends. (laughs) Doesn't that just sound weird? Take your money so you can buy your friends, buy your votes or whatever. It just doesn't make sense, does it? Use your money to gain friends so that when you get to your eternal home, you'll be welcome. Now, we will get to that in just a moment. You know, earlier in Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, he taught them to lay not up for themselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust corrupt and where thieves can break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where the moth and rust do not corrupt, and thieves cannot break in and steal. What does God do with the tithes and the offerings that we give? Down here while we're on earth and the missions offerings that you give to and full gospel assembly. A, do these monies go someplace to a bank in heaven and it gains all this interest? And so that when we get there, he says, here's your interest. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think that's what Jesus meant. Your ties go toward those ministries. And uh, the church of the church and the missions at home and abroad. This thing Think about this thing this morning. God's word makes it clear that it's his idea that there is a local church. We saw it in the Old Testament. Remember, they brought the tithes into the, the storehouse and they looked after the widows. They looked after the poor. They cared for the preachers, Levites, you know, all of that. He did good things with it. And that's kind of what happens with your tithe here at this church. And so I believe God's will is the local church. It's very biblical. And so as I just find that the, the tithe, the best place for the tithe is the local church. And I've had my conversations with people over the years. If they're not arguing about whether it should be 10% or not, they're arguing about it shouldn't go to the church. I'm going to give it to Billy Graham. One one pastor said, uh, who had this conversation with a parishioner, it's fine, and then the parishioners uh, had a family member that died, and he asked the pastor to do the, do the uh, funeral. And the pastor said... Uh, Billy Graham. (laughs) You get the point. I mean Billy Graham. I'm not saying anything about it. He's the greatest guy who, who I, in my lifetime, greatest evangelist who lived and loved him so much. So follow me with something just for a moment. I'm a pastor and uh, as a pastor, a lot of times I get a phone call and the phone call is from a hospital often They need, someone wants to see a clergyman or a pastor because they're going to die. They want to make things right with God. So I go there and I have the privilege. I don't know how many times I've had the privilege of talking to somebody who is not ready to meet Jesus and lead them to Jesus Christ. And it is so real what happens. I remember one person, the only way we could communicate was for him to squeeze my hand. Yes, when he understood what I was saying. And so I asked him if he wanted to receive Jesus after explaining the gospel. And he said, yes, we used my hand. And we prayed. And I said, just in your heart, repeat this. I know you can't speak. So we did. And at the end, I said, so, you believe Jesus is in your heart? Do you know he's in your heart? And he started to go like this. Oh, it was so, so great. Now, let me ask you a question. He died just a, a few hours after that. I've always thought, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to see this guy again, and he's going to be pretty happy that I went that day. But why did I go there? I went there because of my position. How did I get there? I got there because people in the local church sent their tithes into the storehouse, and I was able to be full-time and available. I wasn't doing two jobs. And so I went. So don't be surprised when you get to heaven. (laughs) There's going to be some people there that you're going to meet. And they're going to, you're going to say, what do you mean? Why are you welcoming me to this eternal place? Well, your pastor came and he wouldn't have come unless you gave your money and he wouldn't have had the ability to be a full-time pastor. You, you get the picture? You're just, as, I just have a feeling you're going to get as, the same reward I'm going to get. There's going to be people in heaven waiting to welcome you. Because of what you have done. And I think that's what Jesus is teaching here. There are going to be all kinds of people we've never met before. That are ready to welcome us into eternal dwellings. This to me has become the most exciting missions message that I know of in the scripture. This odd strange parable. Because of this one verse that Jesus talks about. Use your money, he says. Use your money, your unrighteous mammon, he calls it. So that you can gain friends. So that when you die, they welcome you into eternal dwellings. Hey, that's heaven, isn't it? (laughs) Listen, I say this with greatest confidence and assurance of whatever the word is. There's going to be people in France that are going to be in heaven because you. Germany, Slovakia, Scarborough, Mozambique, Nicaragua. Champion Life. This church has had this partnership for almost 15 years where Champion Life has used your facilities for rent. And uh, they grew to such a size that they had to go again down to Durham. They started another church. And this one is now, like I think he said, Pastor Jerry said, 80%. Your church board could have said, no, we don't want to use our building for that. You know, it gets worn down and, you know, we like to keep it for ourselves just in case we have a need of it. That hasn't been the spirit of this church. And and so because of that, how many people, primarily of Filipino background, are going to welcome us into heaven, or you into heaven, because I haven't been a part of this church, because... Your church, your leadership, get that. I just have a feeling that there's going to be like this great great big long video that plays when we get to heaven. And in it, there's going to be all these people that you touched. So God bless you for giving to missions today. Amen. God bless you. You're going to have people just lined up to meet you in heaven you've never met before. That's what this teaches. Doesn't that make you want to just give? As as Jacques Lel said, that great, wise, brilliant philosopher, the best thing you can do with money is give it away. I just come to that conclusion. It just gets me into trouble most of the time. The old hymn, we don't sing, I barely know it because I wasn't raised in the church, but there's a line that says, Will anyone then at the beautiful gate be waiting and watching for me? Guarantee it. There's people waiting and watching for you. If Jesus does not come and we die a natural death or some other kind of a death, instantly there's going to be people to meet in heaven. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. All of a sudden, one day we're going to see the results of how we managed the resources that the Master gave us. The second lesson is that trust is earned you know, Charlie Brown is an incredible trusting person. I wouldn't trust Lucy. My goodness. You know what that girl does? Every She says to Charlie Brown all the time, you know, he says, uh, I'm going to trust you. And he, he takes a run at the football, right? And every time he takes a run at the football, she lifts the football and, whoosh, boom, on his back. So he comes back again and, Oh, you can trust me. I won't do it this time. <laughs> she does it again and again. Oh, so Charlie Brown looks at Lucy with his arms folded, very troubled, and a disheartened look. And Lucy says, Oh, Charlie Brown, 2003 is going to be the year that I let you kick the football. <laughs> oh, Lucy and Charlie Brown, Charles Schultz. Trust is earned, and God sees behind the appearances. I want you to know something in this, and I believe that. Uh, trust is earned, of course. We're going to be voting on board members, and that trust is earned because of the faithfulness that they have shown over the years to this assembly, and those are the people you want to nominate and have caring for the church. That It's earned, and that's only proper, proper and right. But I don't think that's exactly what Jesus is teaching here, although that's in there. And the reason is this. If you look at this parable, it doesn't say that if you are faithful in small things, then I'll put you in charge of big things. It doesn't say that. I I always read it that way. But it actually says the one who is faithful in the little things is, not will be, is faithful in much. Hmm. So what's the much? God is the much. If you're faithful to God, you will automatically be faithful in little. Amen. And then that other natural law kicks in. If you're faithful in little, you'll get promoted and promoted and promoted. But this says, he that is faithful in the little is already faithful to God. Isn't that incredible? You take it home, chew it over and think about it. Can God trust us? God's name is not Lucy, is it? It can be measured, the third thing, third lesson. How much can God trust us with the things that he's given to us? Let me tell you a John Maxwell story. Since he told it and he speaks to thousands, I hope you won't be insulted by me telling you a story of the Parable of the Three Little Turtles. One Saturday afternoon, the three just turtles decided to have a picnic. One brought the food, one brought the jug of turtle aid, and one brought nothing. Before very long on their trip, it started to rain. And so uh, they said, we can't have a picnic without an umbrella. What are we going to do about this? And uh, so the decision was made that the one who brought nothing, he, sh- he should be the one that goes back and gets some turtle aid, or gets an umbrella. And uh, so on goes this conversation with them. I'm not going to go. As I know as soon as I go, you're going to drink that turtle aid and eat the lunch. And so this went on for some time. And they assured him, no, no matter how long. How long? <laughs> Asked the third, no matter how long. Well, the third little turtle turned and left. And they sat waiting an hour, two hours, four hours. A day, two days, a week, two weeks. Oh, after two weeks, one of the turtles turned to the other one and says, maybe we should go ahead and have that picnic. Then, just then, the voice of the third little turtle came out from behind the bushes. He says, if you do, I won't go. <laughs> Isn't that ridiculous? Hmm. <laughs> Well, trust can be earned. Jesus said, I measure trust not by what you're going to do. I measure trust by what you're doing right now. God doesn't measure trust by good intentions, by promises, by great dreams. And so we ask ourselves today, are we trustworthy? Can God trust us? Another John Maxwell story from a farming community where he pastored, I think he pastored this one, it sounds like what John Maxwell would do. Anyway, this, uh, tried to teach this principle to the, that I'm talking about this morning to this farmer. So he says, if you had a hundred cows and God asks you for 50 of them, would you, would you give him 50? Oh yes, sure, sure would, preacher. He says, if you had a hundred horses and he asked you, if you give 50 of them, would you? Oh, yes, I sure would, preacher. Now, if you had two hogs, and God asks you to give one hog to him, would you give it to him? And that's not fair, preacher. You know I have two hogs. <laughs> uh, we can't snow God, can we? <laughs> Some people, me included, try to slip one by God every so often, Right? Which brings us to the last point. Let's be totally devoted to God. God wants to bless our lives and our families. He wants to open up bigger opportunities for us. But we need to be faithful with the opportunities that he gives us right now. And there's crowds of people waiting to welcome us into eternal dwellings. More than we could ever, ever imagine. Hallelujah. It's so exciting. Today, I encourage you to put your trust fully in the Lord. God has rich, rich blessings pour out in our lives when we learn to trust in him. And I urge you, and I plead with you today, let's not gamble with our eternal address. That's that's not that's not worth it. Trust is the single most important factor in our relationship with God. Abraham trusted God. Even if it meant to kill his son, God wanted him to. story of my life is called Let me read it to you. Kind of summarizes being totally devoted to God. Well, at first I saw God as my observer and my judge, keeping tracks of the things I did wrong and whether I merited heaven or not when I died. He was out there sort of like a president. I recognized his picture when I saw it, but I really didn't know him. But later on, I got to know him. I met Jesus Christ. And it seemed as though life were rather like a bike ride. It was a tandem bike, but I noticed that Jesus was in the back helping me pedal. I don't know when it was, but somewhere along the line, he suggested that we change places. And life has never been the same since. When I had control, I knew the way. (laughs) It was rather boring, but it was predictable. It was the shortest distance between two points. But when I got, when he took the lead well, he knew delightful long cuts, up mountains, through rocky places at breakneck speed. It was all I could do to hang on. But even though it looked like madness, he said, just pedal. I was worried and I was anxious and I asked, where are you taking me? He laughed and didn't answer. And that's when I learned that I was going to have to trust him. I forgot my boring life at the end of every adventure, and when I got scared, he would just lean back and touch my hand. He took me to people with gifts that I needed, gifts of healing, acceptance, and joy, and he gave me gifts to give to other people, and off we go on the journey. Give the gifts away, he'd say. They're extra baggage, too much weight anyway. So I did, to people I met. And I found that in giving, I received and the journey continued and the burden was light. At first, I didn't trust him to take control of my life. I thought he would wreck it. But he knows bike secrets. He knows how to make those sharp corners and how to jump. So to clear the rocks and do the things I could never have done if I were in control. I'm learning to shut up. And just pedal in the strangest of places. I'm beginning to enjoy the view from the rear view, (laughs) from the back seat, and the cool breeze on my face with my delightful companion, Jesus Christ. When I'm not sure I can do it anymore, he smiles and says, Just pedal. (laughs) Ha! Lordship. The the, uh, people of Israel, worship team, come on up. Going to sing, we're going to close with a song, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus." And while they're singing that, if there's just some time you want to spend with the Lord to talk to him about trust or something else, then why don't you come forward. Someone will be here to pray with you. But the people of Israel were saved out of Egypt. The clincher was when they took the blood of a Passover lamb and put it on the doorposts of their homes. And then God made a way for them. Well, they got out into the desert, and God says, there's a rule here for you. I'm going to put a fire over top of your camp at night to keep you warm, and a cloud by day to protect you from the sun's rays. And what I'm going to do every so often is move that cloud or pillar of fire. Could happen in the middle of the night, could happen any time. And what you have to do is break camp, go and follow it until it stops and do it again. When they, came out of, when they came out of Egypt, God was their savior. He saved them. He saved them. But he wasn't their Lord. So he says, I know how to work it out. I'm going to teach them I'm Lord through obedience. So the cloud moved. In the middle of the night, Sarah, get up. It's time to go. And they would move, and they learned trust, and they learned obedience, and they learned that God knew what was best for them. Gosh, their sandals never wore out, wore, wore out their clothes never wore in 40 years in the desert. Miraculous, wasn't it? But He was teaching them. I'll ask you today, how are you doing on the trust meter? <laughs> today is one of those times. It's not about money, is it? Is about trust. It's about trust. Remember, the master is merciful, and he wants to give us an opportunity to make changes and prepare for the future. Though I cannot go back and make a brand new start, anybody can start from today and make a brand new end, right? God came a second time to Jonah. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to share about the God of second chances. I wouldn't be here if he wasn't the God of second chances, and maybe most of you wouldn't either. Let's stand together before the worship team comes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're so wise. You own the cattle in a thousand hills. You own us. You own everything in the world. And you've given us the privilege of sharing the glorious gospel with people. We could do it through missions. Though we may not go ourselves. We can help those who can go. So God, bless people today. God, may they leave this place so encouraged, realizing that their dollar doesn't end when it goes into the offering plate, but it goes on. Thank you, God, for the precious promises in your word, promises that tell us that heaven is going to be so full of surprises. Hallelujah. And so, God, for the one today that might be here who's never fully put their trust in God then today, Lord, may they make that right with you. For those that want to just commit themselves to the Lord or talk to God about something he's talking to them about, then these altars are open lord and we pray that you'll meet them there as people join and pray with them bless your word to our hearts and glorify your name bless lord and full gospel assembly the leaders here the workers here the pastors here in jesus name we pray everyone said amen hallelujah so if you want to come forward for prayer come on you know god may be speaking to you somebody will come and pray with you and uh, it is so sweet to trust in Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. never failed us yet, has he? Hallelujah. He is such a wonderful God. Hallelujah. 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 If you have to go, of course, go after the song. But feel free to just sit in your pew maybe and talk to God or come to the front. God bless you. See you next week.